Leading Ladies, a concert in celebration of Women's History Month featuring Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, Christina Perry. At the King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York on Wednesday, March 20th. Tickets are on sale now. You don't want to miss this amazing night of music dedicated to uplifting women's voices. With Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, and Christina Perry. Odyssey's Leading Ladies presented by Olay Body. Buy your tickets now at kingstheater.com. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com and the Radio.com app. For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins in the NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. Yeah, yeah. With Ken Laird from the Craig Hill Morning Show. That's evidently what Ken Laird wants you to believe. And WEEI.com Bruins writer Matt Kalman. Everything gonna be all right? Place him up for some bees talk right now. It's the Skate Pod. Sunday Skate, I'll give it a B, B plus. On WEEI. Holy, this is a big time show. It is a big time show. Yet another big time show. It's another edition of the Skate Pod here at WEEI.com. Ken Laird and a struggling Matt Cowan, who was on the phone this week, battling through some adversity. You and Bergeron. Absolutely. Upper body injury. All right, well, we'll do it remote this week. And you left me on my own devices to chat with Chris Knuckles Nyland. So I went one-on-one with one of the tougher Bostonians to ever walk. The face of the earth now up in Montreal. We'll get to Chris Nyland's thoughts on the Bruins in the state of the Atlantic Division coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. He also, uh, Matt, you're going to want to stay tuned, weighed in on the abuse scandal in uh, hockey circles, which we thought the Dallas coach was involved with for a moment, and then, <laughs> and then he wasn't. That's coming up. And you know where uh, folks can subscribe to us, uh, Matt, as always. Yeah, of course. Uh, Apple Podcasts, um, Stitcher. Let's see what else. Radio.com. I use Downcast. You can get us uh, wherever you get your podcast, and we're very transparent about that as, as opposed to the Dallas Stars that aren't being transparent at all. <laughs> now, uh, let's start with the Bruins' regression. The R word yeah. has been thrown around quite a bit this week on uh, a number of uh, – you love when the stats geeks get out there. Uh, Sportsnet, who else had another uh, a Bruins' regression article? Oh, of course, The Athletic. Oh, yes. They, they, just, they should just call themselves the stat geeks. Not, I think not, the funniest part where, about Where was the WEI.com stats breakdown of why the Bruins are regressing? Well, I think the funniest thing about these stats breakdowns is that they, they talk about all the things that have been disproven as far as, you know, Bergeron's this age and Krejci's this age, so they should be regressing already. And they've been completely disproven by that by like for the last two or three years, and that they still rely on that factor as, oh, this is why they're going to regress. But... I mean, you don't need a you don't need to be a stats geek to know there's going to be some regression, right? They were on pace for 120 points. We know that's not going to happen, and they're going to come back to earth for sure. But that doesn't mean they're still not going to win the division by 10 points. It doesn't mean that they're not going to be the top seed in the East. It doesn't mean that they're still not going to be uh, one of the two or three, four favorites to win the cup. Uh, it's uh, pretty ridiculous that you're going to go 0-2 and one. One of the losses was uh, you know against the Colorado Avalanche team. <laughs> that uh, I think you and I both agree is one of the class teams in the league, and so they just got outclassed on one night, one particular night, and uh, it doesn't take uh, an abacus or uh, whatever these slide rule, whatever these guys use to uh, figure this crap out to uh, know that there's going to be a little bit of a slowdown here, and you're going to hit the lulls. Hey, the St. Louis Blues, the same thing. They've lost uh, three in a row now, too, so I guess they're both sucky teams, right? (laughs) Well, one thing about the Colorado game, I mean, their top line is scary, but the Bruins always do a pretty good job of limiting opposing top players. It, it, again, I think gets back to, and of course Bergeron didn't play in that game, yeah. but it gets back again to, you know, when push comes to shove against good teams in the playoffs, are you too one-line heavy? Uh, you know, were they not able to generate enough? <clears throat> you know, in some of these games they've gotten behind and, like, you know, Ottawa packs it in and it's tough to generate offense, but that wasn't the sure. case in Colorado. 
Right. Um, yeah. Is it a concern that here yet again, when the top guns are, are not flying and the, and the power play is not working, it's kind of a it's a glimpse back to last year in the Cup Finals? Yeah, I think a little bit, but I think you know, what I wrote also is just the fact that at this point, uh, Bruce Cassidy is trying to kind of find where the pieces fit, and he's I think he's changed his lines two or three times every game in the last four or five games. And uh, he's trying to fit Brett Ritchie in and see if the guy can give him anything. Obviously, Patrice Bergeron comes back in Ottawa, and we know where he's going to be lined up, but we don't know that that's going to stick together uh, much longer as he looks for that balance. And um, it's kind of like a training camp attitude uh, approach here. You know, obviously, Anders Bjork continues to emerge as a guy who probably should get top six minutes. So uh, you might see him play the right side some more, and that he's, uh, they're, they're confident he can handle that. And uh, it seems like as much as Bruce Cassidy loves Danton Heinen, he kind of puts Danton Heinen in his in his doghouse a lot too. So a guy who was dropped off the power play suddenly, and you know he always gets moved around to different lines. It'd be interesting to see if uh, he ends up in the press box at some point here, because I think maybe it's tough love because he loves him so much. He he's harder on him. I don't know, but uh, you know, still looking for the, they're still looking for the right combinations. And I think we've all I've I've obviously on the side of the. The right combination might involve Pasternak not being on the perfection line, but we'll see. Uh, you know, Bruce Cassidy's always been in love with that, and that might be the way to go. But at some point here, uh, he'll have to settle on something. But that's kind of the the perk of having the uh, the lead that they have and the, the the talent that they have. They can get by sometimes uh, while they're testing things out. Well, I like that phrase that they have to figure out what they have. I think you wrote that in your piece that's up now. At- at wei.com, I, I believe right. I believe the title was "Everything's Going to Be All Right." I think that of was the, course the that's my uh, yep. that's my mantra. It's tattooed on my you know my back. No, but in particular Bjork. I mean, if if yeah. he's if he's a natural right wing, and that's the spot where you're questioning you know in the postseason anyway, do you have to make a deal in, in late February? So let's find out what Anders Bjork is on the right side of uh, David Krejci. Absolutely. I mean, Bjork playing the right side. Uh, Richie playing. Does he, does he fit with Coyle? Does he fit with Krejci? Does he fit nowhere? I mean. As much as we want to rag on the guy, he's had some moments where he's finished some checks on the forecheck. He's made some nice uh, passing plays, and obviously it's weird to see him around the net. I don't know how he scored the 15 goals that year. He doesn't seem to have a lot of hockey sense in front of the net, getting himself open and and finding ways to get his shot off. But he's made some nice plays here and there, and it would be nice to see him get maybe a run of 8 to 10 games to maybe show what he can do. And as long as they're willing to sit David Backus out, then Richie has that spot. Maybe he can... Be comfortable knowing that they're not going to, you know, bench him after two or three games here. Of course, we don't know that that's going to be the case, but if it is, uh, that's the way to go. I mean, you have to figure this out now so that Don Sweeney knows what he has to do, what he has to spend. Does he have to go bigger uh, than a Marcus Johansson this time around? Can he just go out and get a subtle middle middle six piece that maybe isn't even in the lineup come playoff time, depending how things go? Is he just looking for depth? And then uh, we know that the third defense pair is still a question. I mean, can you really go with the two lefties, especially since they both look so confused when they're on the right side? And when you don't have Connor Clifton in there, you kind of lose that, that physical edge that John Moore doesn't give you. And maybe you just need to get a different right-handed shot altogether to play with Grizzlick. I mean, there's there's still a lot of questions that they have to uh, kind of hammer out. And as we sit here and, and recording this before the Caps game, 10-point cushion still in the Atlantic, so things are pretty good, as you point out. This is uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, let's face it, they're the, they're the class of the of the division. And, you know, I, as you know, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist. So when you look at the eight-game winning streak and you see that they you know, were coming from behind those games, some people see them as becoming complacent or just being – uh, you know, getting a little lucky there, but I look at it as, hey, you, you played 40 minutes a night and you still got a bunch of wins, so that's how good you are, and you can get get a measure of that. And obviously, they don't. That's not the the goal to be that way, but it's going to happen. I mean, it, again, it's only December, 
we know how long the damn season is. We know how short their off season was. So you just gotta pace yourself. Yeah, we don't want to go on an episode without mentioning Tory Krug and his contract situation. <laughs> but just you know, we're a couple weeks now removed from the Charlie Coyle extension, and it's becoming pretty clear with the expansion draft on the way and the numbers that sit out there. You know, they're going to have to choose between if they sign Krug, they're going to lose Grizzly. Right. Uh, so th- right. I mean, there are a lot of things working against Tory Krug and, and him getting a long term deal done. Now, maybe in the end they'll figure out, uh, you know, he just, he'll take much less to stay here and, and, and something will happen. But I would, you know, lean now toward he's gone and and we are getting into that. Would you consider trading him in February, right? That becomes yeah. a, a now a legitimate. If, if, if Bjork's not the guy and Richie's right. not the guy and we're, it's the same old problem, you need a wing, would they consider moving Krug? But how much worse would they be without Tory Krug, even if you right. added right. a great right wing? I mean... You look at that game against Ottawa, not a, not their best performance for sure. They had some spurts. I mean, they had 40 shots on net. The power play didn't score, but they had some chances. You look at the plays he makes at the blue line, keeping those pucks alive, the way he makes makes that power play move, you know, changing positions, changing you know, angles. And five on five, let's face it, look how great him and Carlo have become. They are your best defense pair, right, every night. Mm-hmm. Now, does Carlo get most of the, you know, most of the, uh, you know, the 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 kudos for that, because he's probably their best defenseman now. Maybe, but uh, how many guys you plug in there? You're going to plug John Moore in there after you trade Krug, and you pull, plug Grizzlick in there, and then what, what's left of your third pair? Tory Krug is really underrated when you think about it, as far as being an all-around defenseman at this point. Mm-hmm. And um, I think people really underappreciate that. It's it's really kind of crazy to, to see the people that uh, think you know get get, get Tory Krug out of here. He's a terrible defenseman. I don't know what the heck they're watching. Well, I mean, let's before we assume. Yeah. De McAvoy and Carlo, if they go with the seven forwards, three defensemen, I mean, and this is a year and a half away still, but but, but right. But I mean, people assume McAvoy's not going anywhere and Carlo's not going anywhere. Would you agree? Right. I mean, or is there? Yeah, room I mean, for... obviously, the, if if this is what it's going to, first of all, like you said, a year and a half away. I hate doing this year and a half away thing because you don't you don't know. First of all, who's playing, still playing well? Who's coming on? Who's injured? But but they are talking about this, right? right. I mean, aren't aren't they? Isn't Don Sweeney in there saying Krug and the contract is dependent on the expansion draft in a year and a half? We have to plan for that. There's an element to that for sure, but you still don't know that necessarily that Seattle is going to go for a defenseman there. I mean, there will be some pretty good forwards available too, and so. I mean, I believe if you did it that way, wouldn't like Heinen be available as well? Well, no. If if you protect seven three and one, you yeah, can protect you protect Heinen and DeBrusque that okay. way. If you don't, if you go the other way and you protect eight skaters, then you're, you're going to lose either Heinen or DeBrusque, probably. Right. So I mean, you know, obviously you don't want to face that either. But I mean, again, you don't have to lose the guy if um if you trade him, and that's what they're, that's what they're going to end up doing, right? I mean, if if they do sign Krug, then they'll probably have to tr- make a trade, whether it's trading Grizzly out of here, or they might have to do the unenviable thing and and give Seattle something for not taking him, right? I mean, uh, just because GM screwed up in the Vegas thing doesn't mean it's still not an option to do that. Yeah, true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, just because you know Dale Talon what made the, one of the stupidest moves in hockey history yeah. and gave the Vegas Golden Knights two-thirds of their top line to go to the Stanley Cup final that year doesn't mean Don Sweeney has to shy away. <laughs> so you know, clearly you have to make it worth Seattle's while, and it'll be costly. And we've seen that, obviously, Don Sweeney doesn't like bribing teams because otherwise David Backus wouldn't be here. But <laughs> um, it, it, you know, when it comes down to it, you have to decide, is Matt Grizzlick important enough to you? Now you have Vakanainen, you have Zaboral. Yeah, they have some left um, shot. There's lefty in the pipeline, up. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, 
I'm not sure if Cooper Zek is a left or right. I think he's a left, right? The prospect. I think so. So you know he's on a minor league deal now. He he probably will play play his way into it at least a a, a two way deal at some point. Um, you have to look at it that way too. You have to kind of trust your drafting and trust your your system to replace these things. Now, I I like Matt Grizzlick, even though you say I don't. But is he? He's definitely more replaceable than a Tory Krug, and he's also I'm cheaper. talking Tory Krug the next three or four years, not the Tory Krug in year eight of that deal. Seven of the of that deal that obviously is going to slow down, but you can't uh, live in twenty twenty seven at this point. You have to worry at least about you know twenty twenty through twenty twenty five, and this this Tory group is just is just too important right now. Yeah, uh, no, I, I agree. It's, just, it's fascinating to watch it evolve because sure they give the money to Coil, and you can understand why. And, you know, here we are. It's like Mookie Betts and Tory Krug. You're watching their last seasons yeah. play out. That's not like they're insignificant to keep them around. I mean, they are important right. own rentals, uh, to, to use that phrase. But right. that's the way it's going to go. I mean, more than likely. Yeah, I mean, I would say I would put them in different classes if you, if you want to you know, bring in the Mookie Betts example. Because I think Mookie Betts is on record and has made it very clear, I'm going to free agency. You know, or I'd let, my objective is to get the free agency and get the most money I can get. Obviously, he plays in a non-cap league. Tory Krug in a different situation, yeah. an older guy, you know, a different type, of, not not the all-around superstar that Mookie Betts is, but a guy who clearly knows I can, you know, still be pretty rich and stay here within the cap system on a good team. And let's face it, the example has been set, right? I mean, everyone else has taken the hometown discount, so to speak, and you know, it'll be up to Tory Krug to decide if that's enough. Yeah. Oh, real quick, uh, Taylor Hall. Uh, before yeah. we get to Knuckles Nyland, I know you wanted to weigh in on trade targets. Yeah, I think you know Taylor Hall. I mean. There's been so much talk about him, but I, I don't think it's it's definitely doesn't make a lot of sense from their perspective um, in terms of a rental that would be so ridiculously priced. I mean, you're talking a lot more than you gave up for Rick Nash. Um, and if you're looking at him as a guy that you're going to trade for and then retain, that uh, that also doesn't make a lot of sense considering the uh, the players you have and that you're committing to that have. Um, have signed these hometown discounts like we were talking about. I mean, we we saw what happened with Mark Stone. I mean, you and I were basically on the same page. Uh, Mark Stone would be a great ad, but yep. clearly, and and that he was worth the nine million that he got. But cl- clearly, they don't have that nope. in their structure, right? They have a a salary structure, and they're not giving nine million to to one player, and that's what Taylor Hall is going to demand and, and probably going to get, whether he deserves it or not. I'm not. 100% sold on him being an upper echelon all superstar. I don't think he's the two-way player that a Mark Stone or someone like that is. Um, but I think in the in the, in the in the grand scheme here, we always talk about the second line right wing. But between Bjork and and Richie and and you know Heinen, you got to give these guys a chance. It might even be a, a Pasternak playing with Krejci and then someone else playing with Bergeron and Marchand. I think you're going to have to just look more for the the middle six kind of extra piece kind of guy that can that can plug in there and like I said maybe not even be in the in the lineup when the playoffs start because everyone else you know the incumbents you know played up to their expectations so um I wouldn't get my hopes up for like a big blockbuster at this point yeah all right we'll talk more next week when you are uh, recuperated recovered and ready to go of course uh, sounds the, good the Bruins have several big games here uh coming up so hopefully the uh, as you mentioned the doldrums they are knocked out of that including uh, Tampa, Florida, the Kings, uh, maybe not so much, but we'll talk again <laughs> next week. And Knuckles Nyland, I asked him a couple things just to final, finish up on the Colorado game, Matt. Zadorov going after Pasternak. It's yet again another theme, which I wanted to get you know Nyland's take on. 
Yeah. Not you know necessarily the personal protector, but this is the way the league is going to counter uh, adjust to a guy who scored 25 goals in 27 games, and now he's cooled off a little bit. Sure. Yeah, and you know what? I think we can talk about this a little more next week, too, as I think I noticed in the Ottawa game him getting rid of the puck a little faster. Yep. And maybe not as being as aggressive as far as trying to create uh, create his own offense. So maybe uh, that philosophy has been working, and we'll see, uh, I guess, how he adapts uh, in the next couple weeks and maybe gets hot again. Talk to you next week, Matty. Talk to you then. And time for our guest of the week. Well, the last time I was in Montreal, the uh, fine folks at TSN 690 allowed me to use their studio. And uh, Chris Knuckles Nyland had a big poster, Habs Lunch. He's a big superstar up there. Of course, former uh, Boston uh, resident, Northeastern alum, as I am. And uh, Chris, uh, nice to see you're making a hell of a career for yourself. We thank you for coming on here on the Skate Pod. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Do you make, do you make it back to Boston uh, much these days or not, not really? Yeah, I do. I get back and forth, you know, see my family. They come up and visit and uh, be home for Christmas like I always have been, you know, throughout my career. That's one holiday I always get home for. So, yeah, I'll be I'll be coming home around the 20th and uh, spending time with my family. Now, growing up in the 70s and seeing the, you know, the Bruins evolve here over the last 40 years, uh, what do you make of the franchise and, and how they've, you know, they were when, when you were growing up, which was, you know, a cup champion, that, that whole lull. And finally, back to some prominence. Yeah, well, you know, the, the Stanley Cups in 70, 72 there um, certainly were uh, a big influence on me, as well as uh, who other than Bobby Orr. You know, yep. uh, I, every kid in Boston, you know, at that time wanted to be Bobby Orr and certainly looked up to him um, as a role model. And uh, another guy I certainly looked up to quite a bit was O'Reilly. And when he was with the Braves, uh, I went to quite a few Braves games as a kid. So, um, you know, yeah, they had that well. I think the Bruins after the 72 Cup there, you know, they certainly had the reputation of a tough team and uh, a fan base that uh, when they got used to that, uh, actually (laughs) they they demanded that. They always wanted a tough team, blue-collar town. And they always had one. I think at times it served uh, the organization well, and at other times it hurt them. Uh, Certainly you can point to a lot of the the losses in the playoffs to uh, Montreal. Uh, Penalties uh, ended up hurting them at at one point or another. So, you know, I think looking at the organization today, uh, you know, that cut back in 2011 was awesome. Um, they're a really competitive bunch, and I think the 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 cool thing is they were able to keep their identity, and um, I, you know obviously a lot to do with uh, Cam Neely uh, being there, and obviously Don Sweeney now. Uh, they've um, yeah they've kept their identity without again the the big bad Bruins of old. No, but they're the bad Bruins like the. Uh, when I say that, I don't mean in a derogatory way. I, I mean in a good way. You know, they they certainly um, they play a great skating, physical uh, hockey game. And um, you know, right now, I believe they're top, yeah, close to the top team in the league. Um, when you look at the Islanders, uh, Washington Capitals, maybe Tampa. I know Tampa's down right now, but. Those are top teams, and uh, the Bruins are certainly a dangerous team uh, for any uh, team in this league to face. Uh, and, you know, credit to management. Like I said, uh, Neely and, 
and Sweeney have done one hell of a job there. Well, it's funny you, you talk about them as a tough team. When The last time they played the Canadians, uh, you know, Montreal was very physical with Pasternak, and there was a lot of talk in town about whether they're tough enough or, do, you know, again, back to the, you know, do we need to go out and get a protector for, for Pasta because he's going to get roughed up after 25 goals in his first 27 games. What do you make of that? Are, are they? Do they have a yeah, guy? Yeah, you know, I don't think there's an argument. I mean, are they tough enough? Do you need a protector? I mean, that game is gone. Yeah, That game is so far gone. Yeah, I know there's a couple teams in the league that, like Washington, got Wilson, Ryan Reeves out in um, Vegas. But, you know, basically that game is gone. And, um, you know, toughness should be team toughness, the way you play, uh, the physicality, going to the net, going to the corners, uh, being able to come out with the puck, um, being able to battle on the boards. That's tough. You know, it's not necessarily fighting or having to protect the guy. Uh, believe me, I get it. You got somebody in the lineup like that. Some guys may think twice, but um, again, uh, it's it's not like it used to be, and I I don't think there's an argument there. Do you think Pasternak's legitimate uh, fifty goal scorer? Or is he kind of just had an awesome start playing around Marshall? Uh, and company? Yeah, of course, yeah, of course he's legitimate. I mean, the guy is. You know, what makes him not legitimate? If he doesn't score for ten games, or if he only gets twenty eight goals this year. <laughs> Uh, he's still a very good player. Uh, listen, there's 82 games in the season. Guys will score every game. Uh, and we often measure uh, greatness or um, good play with the number of points one gets. I mean, there's nice guys um, can come up with three points or two points, and they absolutely suck out in the ice. <laughs> you know, uh, they happen to touch the puck or they were in the right place at the right time. But uh, the rest of the game, you got to remember, like ninety nine point nine percent of the game, you're playing without the puck. Yep. Uh, you know, and you have to be good without the puck. I get a kick out of people who say, "Oh, I want players that are good with the puck, not guys that are not good with the puck." I mean, but that's most of the game. Yeah, of course, you want guys who can handle the puck and play play offense. But uh, when they're not playing offense, what are they doing? Are they putting themselves in a good position to help the team? Uh, are they putting themselves in a good position to defend? Are they aggressive enough, smart enough, um, being able to anticipate getting the puck back? So all those things um, go into a good player, not just guys who uh, score goals and get assists. And I know it's a big part of the game for sure, but the other part is, is as big uh, when it comes to uh, winning hockey games, keeping the puck out of your net. Chris Nyland's our guest. You've had the experience now of uh, of Claude Julian for several years. Uh, of course, here in Boston, he had a hell of a run. Uh, that l- recent skid the Habs had, though, I thought maybe he was in trouble. Has he survived? Oh, yeah, he survived it. Um, you know, it, it, it's funny. It's what, what can you do for me today? And, again, uh, I, I love Claude Julian. He's a great guy. Uh, he proved himself to be a great coach. Yeah, he had a long tenure in Boston, and, yeah, after a while, come on, I don't care who you are, um, <laughs> except for maybe Belichick, and I'm sure guys are sick of listening to him too some uh, days, but he's <laughs> football you have a little different, uh, the way contracts are and the way you're able to cut guys. NHL's a little different. So uh, Claude, certainly um, when he came here, everybody's all oh, defensive-minded coach. and blah, blah. But the fact of the matter is um, – uh, they're finally getting 
back to that game after the eight-game slide. They're starting to be more responsible without the puck. Uh, listen, he, he has a very small team here, a fast-skating team, uh, not loaded with talent. They're not loaded with talent. They have some good talent, but, again, they're not loaded with it. And when you look at um, the way – and it was only maybe two months ago people were praising him about how he was able to uh, change, adjust from that defensive-minded guy to a guy who's able to coach a fast-skating team and everybody was patting him in the back. Then all of a sudden they go in the dumper, yep. and all of a sudden he's no good. I mean, come on. Uh, and that I had a problem with. I think personnel – um, is the issue here. Size is the issue here. Uh, they don't have a team that I believe can compete in a playoff game, uh, maybe seven of, them, seven of them, like the Bruins had to compete in last year in the Stanley Cup. Right. That, I try to picture a guy like Jonathan Druin playing in a game like that, and I'm like, I don't think so. I don't think he's going to be effective in a game like that. Now, he could be with the right team, and uh, being insulated. I'm not saying have a protector, but have guys around them that are able to battle on the boards, that are able to hang on to the puck in difficult situations, are able to make plays under duress. So, you know, they, I, I believe they have a lot of play. They, a lot of players like that, and they, they're not insulated. When you talk about protecting Pasternak, I think they certainly have enough guys there, physical guys, uh, tough guys. I mean, come on. Chara's there, yep. and um, you know, to be able to uh, keep an eye on him and take care of him. But uh, yeah, certainly up here, at, uh, uh, Claude Julian, I think, has done a good job considering what he has to work with. Hey, Chris, before we let you go, you know, you, you were a tough player. Uh, I'm sure you're still a tough guy. You played for a lot of tough coaches, I'm sure. Has this coach abuse uh, scandal or whatever it is, maybe it's a couple isolated incidents, has it taken you by surprise that it's had the, the kind of legs it's had, or I don't know how much you guys are talking about it up there. Do you think there's more to it? Yeah, I, I guess maybe a little bit. Um, you know, I guess was I surprised at what Pete had said to uh, that kid, uh, L.U. Yeah. Um, I, that was kind of surprising, thinking he could say something like that. And, you know, it was going to be lost forever, and it would never come back and bite him. Well, it has. Yep. Am I surprised that guys are coming out now? Uh, listen, Mike Commodore has been uh, throwing knives at Babcock for years now. <laughs> um, and I've heard some things about Babcock that he's just not a good guy. Uh, it's all about him and uh, his methods uh, uh, a little bit harsh. But, again, uh, you know, th- does that make him a bad coach? No, it might make him a bad person, but is he a bad coach? Yeah. Um, I think nowadays you have to, you know, basically uh, change diapers, powder the bum, and uh, feed him the paddle. You know, these, these kids today, um, and again, I'm not saying they're all like that, but some of them uh, I think are a little, uh, like too much too soon, you know? Yeah. Uh, the big contracts right away, I, I think – some guys can, and it did happen era too. Guys got big contracts. Sometimes you, they get a little fat caddish and forget where they come from. And um, certainly, uh, it's a different, um, a different guy playing the game today in a sense. Uh, but again, I 
this whole coaching. I think, you know, going back, now we're going to drag, like, Pete Laviolette. But, you know, he, he went to punch his hand and nick the kid's helmet. And then they throw all this stuff out there about him. you got to be really careful because you can really ruin someone's career over something that, well, it may not be the nicest thing, but come on, really? You're going to ruin a guy's career because of something like that? So I get the Peters thing. Uh, some of the other stuff, yeah, my whole thing is if coach kicked me or hit me in the helmet, <laughs> you're going to get it right back. I've always <laughs> been like that. I've been true to myself. I know who I am. And, you know, I don't – I would never let someone do that to me. I don't care if I was a rookie, if I was uh, around for five years, or I was in the league for 14 years. And if I ever had a problem with a coach, <clears throat> I always took it up with him eye to eye and – uh, I've had a couple problems with different coaches, and um, you know I was very blunt with them. I was as blunt with them as they were with me. So, you know, um, I, I, you know, not everybody's like that. I get it, but um, you know, if you allow yourself to be abused, you're gonna get abused. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, really enjoyed it. Thanks for coming on. If you're back in Boston, we'd love to have you on here at EEI anytime. You know that, and uh, for hopefully, sure. Hopefully, when the Bruins uh, get back to the postseason, we can touch base again. Yeah, hopefully uh, they play the Habs. I don't know if that's going to be this year, though. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not. Maybe. Maybe. You never know. It's a b- b- bizarre, yeah. bizarre division this year. I'm not, I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Chris. All right, Kenny.